0: Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson as always I am your good friend and host Steve Robertson here in the early morning hours of Monday and what a great Monday it is because the Diamond Dogs take the series against the University of Alabama man it feels so good to win yes we have dug ourselves quite a deep hole here we're trying to dig ourselves out of it we talked last week of a thing if state was going to make a move it had to start this weekend okay it did now it's time to kind of keep the momentum going. But um, here's the deal, too. As we, we discussed on Saturday show, because we had to record that on Saturday because of the, uh, you know, the change in schedule on Friday, still some inconsistency with the team. And some of that is when you have young players, there's going to be some up and down. And we don't, we don't have a ton of young players, but we're having to uh, count on some guys that are, that are you know, relatively young, as you guys know. Very talented freshman class at times is taking their lumps. Did a pretty good job at the plate this past weekend, but um, you know, I'd love to say we're back. I don't believe that just yet, but I do know that we went out and gutted it out and won a big ball game on Saturday to take a series. Now, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and, and film my oats a little bit this morning. Last Sunday, as soon as I left Dirty Noble Field, I'm telling everybody around there, we're going to have a winning week next week. I said it on Facebook. I said on the show. Some people were skeptical but we did. I'm gonna give you a hot take right now. State's gonna have a winning week again this week, and that's big news because you know who we're playing. We're gonna get to that later in the show too. I believe this team, I won't say that we've turned the corner. In the immortal words of Sylvester Crowe, we've got the blinker on, right? I don't think we've done it just yet, but I do think with the return of Cade Smith, Things, in many respects, are kind of playing out like we we expected with Nate Dome going back to the bullpen, which kind of enables us to use him where he can best get us a victory as he did on Saturday. But getting some guys back and getting them healthy is huge for this team. Also, getting some guys going at the plate. Offensively, we were pretty good this weekend with one exception. Terrible game on Fridays, three hits, one run. You're not going to beat anybody like that. It's not going to happen. You couldn't go out there and beat a good high school team one nothing. So, we're going to push forward here. We're going to get ready for a good week. And uh, I want to tell you guys, too, if you do not have tickets for that Saturday ball game, you're going to have the Brett Eldridge concert, uh, it's going to be tough to get those. And and we don't know how much we can handle. But there is a very, very good chance that you're going to have an NCAA on-campus attendance record Saturday at Mississippi State. So I know you're going to want to be a part of that. If you got friends that aren't going to the game, try to procure your tickets from them. I don't know how many tickets are left to be sold. I know it's like, well, we never sell out of Duty Noble Field. Well, because of the fact that there is a concert and things of that nature, there's a you know, fire marshal issue, and so not exactly sure how that's going to play out. But you're going to have a huge crowd this weekend. The crowd should be big all weekend, but certainly on Saturday. Big, big, big day on Saturday. Big game. We need to win the game. Got a spring game on Saturday morning. I guess it starts at noon. Baseball's at three. And then after the game is over, they'll uh, put a concert on. And that'll be a good day, right? You can spend all day in Starkville and, of course, come back on Sunday um, and finish out the series. And, again, I'm going to tell you now, I expect State to win the series. I do. We'll talk about that a little bit later in the show. And as we get deeper into the week, we'll uh, – We'll take an in-depth look at the season the Ole Miss Rebels have had. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things, too. You know, there's there's no love lost between the two of us. But we went through some similar things last year, right? Where you're struggling and struggling. They're struggling more at this point in the season than we were last year. You lose Landon Sims. They've lost Hunter Elliott. There is some talk about him potentially returning against LSU. But, yeah, we know. I mean, it's like it's kind of hard to, uh, you know, kind of thumb your noses at them when we went through the same thing last year, and and we're a game ahead of them in the standings this year. A game from the bottom, not from the top. And so you can kind of commiserate in some respects, not that we ever, you know, want to sit here and just talk about, you know, how similar we are, because we're not similar in many ways at all. But the reality of it is, is we have been through it. So we understand as a fan base how difficult it is. You go win your national championship and – you think, okay, I've arrived, and we're going to stay here, and now that we're here, we're going to remain relevant in the national discussion, and then you don't. And many people say, I w- well, I wouldn't have traded a national championship for this. I absolutely would have, <laughs> absolutely would have. And I don't think there's anybody else in the country that would would disagree. There's no way with the commitment that both state and Ole Miss people have made to baseball, and those administrations made to baseball, that you didn't deserve to win a national championship. It's good for the game of college baseball. I said that then, of course, I was rooting against Ole Miss uh, in the College World Series, but also understand this. If we really want to go the grain, grow the game, goodness, you got to have some of these schools that are very committed to baseball financially reap the big reward. Yeah, it's true. All right, let's thank our friends at Bulldog Burger Company. I love Bulldog Burger Company. I do. I love them more than a friend, and I enjoy going in there to eat, there's so many people that come to town and say, hey, Steve, I'd love to, to have lunch with you. Let's break bread together. Let's meet at Bulldog Burger Company. Hey, you know what? You don't have to twist my arm. I'm happy to go. There's a good chance I was going anyway. But not if you're there and you're going to pay. Hey, that's all the more reason for me to go. Three great locations to serve you. University Drive here in Vegas, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, Lake Harbor Drive in the richmond Flowood area. Go by and treat yourself to a great restaurant-quality hamburger. It's one of the fine delicacies in life we afford ourselves. Get the spring rolls as your appetizers. They'll make you and everybody around you better looking. It's true. They even put that in writing. It's on the menu and it's not by accident. It's true. Get the chocolate shake to go. That, that That's such a nice benefit to do a business with Bulldog Burger Company. It's like, you know what? I'm ready to go, but I need a little bit of a palate cleanser and you can like let them know about 10 minutes before you're ready to pay You know, and then get your chocolate shake and you, you tip your server, and you walk on out of there, and you ride that ride with a smile. Bulldog Burger Company, making it easy to enjoy life. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right, let's go down and break this ball game down. It was a good day. It, it was a really good day, and I can tell you, from the moment I got to the ballpark, and of course, you know, the games moved around again because of all the weather, and the fact that we got all three of these games in, hey, you know, good for Alabama. And appreciate Mother Nature cooperating with us. We needed to get all three of these games in. We didn't need to be in a situation where we split a series one-to-one. We needed this series win. Very important. And we have a lot of work left to do. So anybody that says, hey, man, we're rolling, we're not rolling yet. Now, you start stringing these things together, you get a winning week this week. All of a sudden, you can be a little more optimistic. And then next week, you've got a you know road trip to Auburn. You play Southern here on Tuesday, University of Southern. Then you head down to Auburn. You go get that series, and then you can say, hey, okay, now we're, we're kind of back in the mix a little bit here. But the quality of competition is certainly going to get uh, you know, a little more difficult you know, once we get through these next uh, couple weeks. Because once we get done with uh, the Auburn series, we've got to turn right back around and travel to Knoxville. And you get all Miss in the midweek in the governor's game, right? So we go to Knoxville, then we have Arkansas come in here, and then we got to go to LSU, and then we have A&M come in, and that's the end of the regular season. And so you start looking at those series, and you start counting dubs, and there's not a lot out there you look at and say, you know what, hey, that, that's a sure win. You may look at the A&M series and say, hey, you know what, we should get that one last week of the year. I just don't know if that's enough, right? I mean, you start looking at this thing, You know, theoretically, I guess, with State's RPI, maybe, maybe you can get on the bubble with 12 SEC wins. Maybe. I think you got to have at least 13. You feel better with 14? And you start doing the math here, and of course, you've got to go play the games. But you start counting, okay, we've got three (laughs) SEC wins now. And you start thinking, okay, could we put 10 together? Well, if that's going to happen, we're probably going to have to pick up a sweep somewhere, right? You say, well, Steve, 10 more takes you to 13. You ought to be in. Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe. But I start counting these weekends down, and you start thinking about, hey, unless we put together a sweep or two somewhere, it's going to be difficult. It really is. And so let's not get too far down the road. Let's just enjoy what is happening now, and that is that we won the series, the road series at Alabama, we're going to go play a UAB. We're going to talk about that later in the show, two on Tuesday. And then we'll welcome the old Miss Rebels to town for Super Bulldog weekend. So let's just take it a week at a time. I, I'm guilty of that sometimes, too. I start forecasting, thinking, well, you know, there's no chance of this, no chance of that. And listen, you know, at this point, I think our best hope is to just simply try to make the field at Hoover. And we'll see how things go from there. And uh, at Mississippi State, that's just not acceptable. You know, the fact that you have to sweat that out and wonder if you're going to make the field at Hoover, it should never be that way here. Never. Now we're not completely immune from having a rebuilding season every once in a while, but we certainly shouldn't have two of them in a row. Just shouldn't. Absolutely no reason for that. Just, you know, just not at all what we're looking for. It's not who we are as a program, right? But let's go back and recap uh, our uh, Saturday win. You know, Bulldogs take the Thursday game 12-8. We lose 11-1 on Friday. And, and listen... It's not just happening to us. A lot of people think, oh, well, we're getting 10-run ruled." The, the new rule has been put in place. It's probably been a good thing to save some arms. But it's not just us. As you guys know, that uh, Tennessee even run-ruled Florida over the weekend. That's a top-10 team getting run-ruled. All right, let's go back and look at um, – not that I'm excusing us getting run-ruled. We're Mississippi State, right? All right, let's jump in here and talk about this ballgame. Uh, so, we go, we go right to work here in this game. And I can tell you, like, the, the air in the, in the stadium, just kind of like the mood of everybody kind of being around the program, you know, a lot of times I can tell when we feel really confident. And that's kind of how it felt on Saturday. Even though we got absolutely shelled on Friday, I did not get the feeling that we were scared to go play on Saturday. I think a lot of that's got to do with Landon Gartman. We know that Gart's going to get out there and compete. We know he is. We know he's not going to walk a lot of people. He's going to get out there and compete. He's not scared to pound his own. He doesn't have a dynamic fastball, but he changes speeds and gets people out on their front foot. And so he gives you a competitive chance. We did uh, our best here in this first inning to give him a better chance and then to take it away. (laughs) All right, so top of first, uh, Amani Larry uh, kind of quietly kind of putting together some good things. Amani Larry... Uh, walks here. It's been a while since he hit a home run, so you don't you don't think as much about him, but you know he's he's doing a good job being a good table setter for us, and he really was on Saturday. So we get a leadoff walk here. Colton Ledbetter flies out to center field, and Hunter Hines comes up and gets down 0-2 in the count. And we talk about this all the time. Why, why are we getting so much plate on 0-2, right? Well, uh, Grayson hit comes at him and, and lives to tell the tale uh, later in the ball game, but we're off and running here. It's 2 nothing as this ball's hit over the bullpen in right center. And it really felt like this is what we needed. I, I think, again, I think we felt confident. I think now all of a sudden it's like, okay, here we go. Here we go. Uh, Dakota strikes out swinging, and then Hancock grounds out to first. Luke is rolling over the ball a little bit right now. Really, really not hitting a lot of line drives, kind of, you know, rolling over the ball a little bit. And they're doing a good job getting sink, getting under the barrel a little bit. But uh, you know, that shift, it's been effective here as of late. All right, bottom one. We're up to nothing, feeling good about life. Then we get a routine ground ball to short. Lane doesn't get his glove down, the ball goes right through his legs. An inexcusable play here. Absolutely terrible play here. Period. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. And uh, listen, I'm a Lane Forsyth guy, I am, but d- his d- defensive play recently not been very good. There was a stretch there. He had put together several games in a row where he didn't have an error, but he's had a couple of huge ones in this series against Alabama. That, that's got to get better, period. So we complicate the matter, and we magnify the error by walking the next guy on a full count. And again, this is the situation here. We get to a 2-2 count, we can't finish him. We walk in, Ed Johnson's the guy you gotta be careful with at Alabama, he really is. We go out and we have a visit with him, and then uh, immediately we throw a wild pitch, but we get Williamson to strike out looking. But it turns to second and third now with less than two outs, and you feel like something's gonna happen. They'll, they'll be gonna run home here. Well, they get a ground ball to second, and then Amani boots it. Run scores, runner takes third. Then Tomez gets in on a fielder's choice, another run scores. And so, Sidle walks, and Shelton strikes out swinging. So here we go. Two walks in the inning, two errors in the inning, and it's a 2-2 ball game. And Alabama scores that the benefit of a hit, not just once but twice. The, every single bit of this is self-inflicted. Alabama deserves credit for nothing other than putting the ball in play, period. But if you're Landon Gartman, you're up there and you're giving a 2 nothing lead, and you go out there and you roll up you know, back-to-back ground balls that are routine plays, I think a young pitcher would have folded under those circumstances. He didn't. But this has nothing to do with guard. Yes, he missed on a couple. The sidle walk, and I'm kind of okay with that. Sido is, a, is, a, is an assassin in Alabama. I love his game, really do. Uh, but, you know, guard didn't help matters with the walks. But, you know, one of those is kind of a tough call here. But the reality of it is got to be able to rely on your defense. When you roll up ground balls, especially those that are just routine plays, you got to expect them. And there was one to Amani on that fielder's choice. It should have been a double play. So basically, your middle infielders basically caused your pitcher to have to get six outs in the inning. It shouldn't be that way. I guess technically it would be five, right, because we did get one out there. But you understand my point. That cannot happen, period. It's 2-2, despite the fact.
1: that we rolled up
0: routine ground balls. All right, top of second. Uh, Slate offered reaches on a leadoff walk. Kellum Clark hits the ball out there into the shift. They, got, they, they can't turn two. They have to force the runner there at second. Lane strikes out swinging and Heifel strikes out swinging. It's 2-2. Two, two. Not really a great inning for us offensively and not just because of the fact that we only got the run, got one guy on. We had a couple of bad at-bats to, to cap the frame there. Our guard comes back there with the vengeance in the second strikeout, swinging a Pickney, uh, Gossetti pops up to second Jarvis grounds out the second. So not only do we get the K we get some light contact here and we're able to make the play. Things kind of settled down a little bit from us after that first inning for sure. All right. Top of third, Amani comes up, hammers the ball to left field, very sharp line drive, well-struck ball. Gets the inning going. Again, being a, being a table setter, being a leadoff guy. Ledbetter than singles to right. Larry comes around to third. Hines strikes out swinging on three pitches here. Wild pitch allows Ledbetter to move up. we got uh, Amani comes in and scores here, so it makes it a 3-2 ball game. Uh, they walk DJ. They go out and talk here, and then uh, Luke grounds into double play. Again, we're rolling over the ball a little bit. Ground ball to second. Here leads to the 4-6-3. And, uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, we take the lead here, but a chance for us to have the bigger inning. All right, bottom of third. Guard back out here. We give up a leadoff single. Uh, Johnson, well-struck ball. Back out to the middle first pitch. And then Williamson flies out. Hameter, we force the runner at second. He reaches on the fielder's choice, and Tomas flies out to left. Now, let's talk about this fly out to left. This is the one, right? This is the Dakota Jordan catch. This is one of these plays. The fact that it didn't make ESPN's top ten plays is a travesty. This ball was extremely well struck. And Tamez, Dominic Tamez, uh, had a really big ball game on Friday. He had two home runs. This ball here, off the bat, I thought it may have been gone. And he actually got so much of it, the top spin kind of kept it in the ballpark, right? <laughs> It's hit basically right at D.J., and then he has to retreat there, and then he jumps up on the dead run and makes this incredibly athletic catch with the offhand, right? It'd be one thing if you're right-handed, right? And you're making it with your dominant hand. It's an incredible play. And it's not just the fact that it's, hey, it's a great play for D.J. It shows his level of athleticism. If he doesn't make this play, it's a 3-3 ball game. This ball goes off the wall. It's a tie game at least and it sometimes our our psyche is rather fragile, and all of a sudden that happens. You know, who's to say that we don't boot around the next couple of balls? The next thing you know, it's a big inning. You don't, you never know. This was the moment here where I thought we kind of took a little bit of Alabama's soul, a little bit here, right? You get a ball that well struck with a guy that's hot at the plate, and your defender makes the play. It was a big momentum shift in the game. It's not that there wasn't some more drama to come, but I thought this was one of those moments when you start thinking, hey, maybe it's our day. Maybe it's our day. Good things like this are happening for us. We're making plays. It doesn't erase the problems of the first inning, but it also doesn't uh, put you in a situation where you add to them. Okay, top of four. Slate Offer grounds out to third on two-oh count. Kellum strikes out swinging, and then uh, Forsyth walks lengthy at bat there. Heifel then singles to right center. It sends uh, Lane to third, and you feel like, hey, we, we need to get something to happen. Of course, Amani, the first two at bats, he gets on base. This time he strikes out swinging. So a chance for us with traffic on the base is to expand the lead. We're unable to do that. Our bottom of four, Seidel again. It is, And that's the thing I'll give Alabama some, some credit for. it. Every time it seems that things are happening for that offense, Seidel's in the middle of it. He is. And if you if you watch this kid hit, Short to the baseball, keeps his hands inside the baseball. His point of contact is nearly flawless. This, I think this guy's a big leaguer. Maybe, you know, maybe he doesn't have a, you know, a natural position. I don't know. But I'll tell you this. The guy's a professional hitter at the plate on the college level. The guy, he leads them in, in average. And after watching him play in person, you can see why. He doesn't try to do too much. I don't mean in the Jake Mangum variety. I mean, he's a bigger kid. But my point being is that his approach to hitting is very, very good. And I was very impressed with him. And so here he is again, singling back up the middle of the right field. And uh, fortunately, we get the double play here. Uh, but ground ball right back to guard. And then we go to lane, and he throws across there. And so we get out there really good. And then Pinckney doubles down the line and left. Left a fastball up, and he got it. You know, in the book on Pickney is, you know he can't recognize spin. He's really susceptible to sliders. And if you watched uh, how we pitched him this weekend, that's pretty much how it went. If we ever got ahead in counts – he was going to have to pick up spin, and he was unable to do that. Uh, Gassetti then grounds out to short. He's the catcher there, and he's not really much of a contributor on the offensive side, which is one of the reasons Tamez uh, plays some on the alternate days in some DH. and Tamez is the more offensive of the two players, the catchers at Alabama. But we're able to get out of this. All right, top of five. Again, good defense for the Bulldogs there in the fourth, able to turn double a play. So we go one, two, three there in the fifth. Ledbetter strikes out looking. I did not agree with the call here. Uh, And I thought we had a pretty good zone most of the weekend. I thought at times in this ballgame on Saturday for both teams, the zone moved a little bit, and this is one of those instances. Uh, Hines flies out to left, and then Jordan strikes out out looking, and he chased a couple balls uh, down in this at-bat, too, trying to do a little bit too much. And so you get to bottom of five, and Alabama's kind of navigated through the uh, middle innings here without doing a whole lot, but they've also been able to kind of hold the game in place. Now, it's been something we've talked about regularly, right? I am a Landon Gartman fan. I don't understand though why we continue to make him go through the order three times. I don't, especially with with essentially the full complement of the bullpen available on Saturday. I'm not second-guessing. I'm just telling you, the third time through the order, SEC hitters are going to adjust to what Gart's doing. That's not being critical of Landon. But the reality of it is the fastball is not especially dynamic. Everything plays off a change. And after you've gone through there and you've seen it a couple times, you're more likely to kind of sit soft and be able to pick up on some things. And, and again, it, it seems to happen every week. It's not Landon Gartman's fault that we continue to, to stick with this. And, and, again, I would love for him to be able to get through the order three times. It would be amazing if he could. I think he has the stamina to do it. I just think what happens is that as people begin to see what he has, they adjust. And the third time through the order, they begin to get it. We've talked about it all year, right? And it continues to happen. And, again, we've got to manage the situation better because we kind of know what the limitations are. So we have to manage around that. Talked about that last week. So Jim Jarvis, who was kind of the straw that stirs the drink for Alabama, plays short. He's also the guy, too. You remember last year that ran into Kellen Clark? or Two years ago, ran into Kellen Clark, caused the interference thing. Same guy. And he gets a single, infield single here. Johnson flies out to left. Jarvis takes second. And you think, okay. And if you go back and look, that that, that they're starting to barrel some balls up here. And then Wilson, Williamson hits the home run. Now it's a 4-3 ball game. Hameter strikes out swinging. And, hey, give credit for coming back up for the dinger. And then Tamez walks, and we go get KC for guard. My honest opinion is I might have given Gart one in the fifth, just because it's the third time through the order. No matter how he feels, no matter how good the stuff is, in a tight ballgame like this, especially if if we had some margin, it may be a little bit different, right? We're up one run in this ballgame. I think I'd give him one. And again, that's not a criticism of the kid. It's just being able to manage the game around what he brings to the table. I'd love for him to go seven, eight innings. Would love it. But the reality of it is that's just not who he is. So we go get Casey. Casey gives up a single to the left side on an 0 2 count. And again, why are we getting so much plate on an 0 2 count? It's the man on here. And then we get uh, Shelton the out swinging on three pitches. So Casey comes in, does the job. We get out of here. We're down one. Top of six. You feel like, you know, hey, we're one swing away. Need to get some things going. And I'll, anytime that I see that, uh, you know, really, honestly, when I see. The, our top six come up, I think it's opportunity to score, but there have been some times here as of late that the bottom third's been the, the group kind of leading the rally. So we come up here, I guess it's 5-6-7. Uh, Hancock flies out to right, offered strikes out swinging. Lengthy at bat there for him. We get ahead 2-0, and we foul off several pitches and, and ultimately uh, swing at a ball in the dirt. Uh, Clark is then um, out at first. You know, this is the one that um, he hit the baseball. It went off the pitcher. They were in the shift. Third baseman had come over and picked it up and uh, throws him out at first. And that's one of those moments you start thinking maybe it's not our day. All right, bottom of six. Uh, Chris Simonis and Scott Fox all say, okay, enough of this. We have a chance for a series win. It's a one run ball game. Let's keep it right where it is. Let's go get the big gun. Nate Dome comes in. I don't, I can't speak for all of you. I can only speak for me. When Nate came into this ball game, I thought, we're fixing to win the game. I can't say that it's like the Landon Sims thing yet. And, you know, of course, Nate, not quite the dynamic big league stuff that Landon Sims had. But when Nate came in this ball game, you know, my countenance was improved because I said, you know what, we're done playing around with Alabama. We went out and got the big guy. We, we, we were able to win that game on Thursday without having to throw Nate, which kept him fresh. And, of course, you get behind. And, uh, you know, the game gets a little separation in it on Friday. And so you don't you don't waste any of your uh, veteran arms. And so you knew if we ever got into this situation here on Saturday, it would be Nate. We handled this exceptionally well, this part of it. Now, I don't know if Nate could come in in the fifth and finish. I don't know. But I know this. I know when Nate came in the ballgame in the sixth, I didn't think Alabama was going to score. And if they were, it wasn't going to be much. And he goes right to work. We get Pikty to strike out swinging. And again, sliders. You get ahead with the fastball, finish with a slider with this kid. It's been that way for three years. Uh, Gassetti strikes out swinging on three pitches. Jarvis singles back up uh, the middle. And then we get Ed Johnson to fly out to left. So we, we kind of pitch around the, the uh, two-out single here. But it was, it was clear Nate was on his stuff here. All right, top of seven. They've been at bringing Aiden Moza. I thought this was a mistake, not because I know the book on Moza. But you've had a left-hander out there. And, I, again, I'm all about giving somebody a different look. But their, their left-hander, Grayson hit did a good job against our left-handers with the rare exception. Of course, he gives up the two-run bomb to Hunter Hines in the first inning. But after that, he kind of controlled all the encounters with lefties. Well, they all of a sudden, now you bring in a hard and right-hander, which kind of plays right into our left-handed power. So they bring in Moza. Uh, Lane grounds this ball right back at him. Hits it really well. I know it's just a ground ball to the pitcher, but you, you go back and you look at the replay. Pretty solid contact there. That was kind of a harbinger of things, things to come. Very next pitch, Ross Highfield hit one over the batter's eye. They say it traveled 448 feet. I wrote this yesterday to kind of put that in perspective. It's 390 to dead center at uh, Sewell Grissom Field. So he cleared that cleared the center field wall by 50 feet. It's crazy. Amani then follows with a single back out the middle, and then there's a wild pitch. They go out and they visit with him, led better and grounds out the short, pushes Amani to the third, and they said, you know what, this is enough. Because every ball that we were hitting off Moza was a rocket. Even the ones that were ground balls that caused outs. Everything that we're hitting was solid contact. They bring in Woods in place of Moza. First thing he does is walk Hunter Hines. I really thought in that situation, they're going to walk him. He's going to put him on. And Steph and I had this discussion in the box. I was like, the the last thing I want a reliever to do is to come in and unintentionally walk a guy. You bring in a guy in to put out the fire, you don't want him throwing balls outside the zone, right? You just If we're going to put him on, let's put him on. So it's like, oh, let's go through the unintentional, intentional walk. I think that is negative. I think that's bad baseball. If, if that's what you're going to do, if you're just going to walk him, let the other guy do it. Because I want my new reliever coming in pounding in his own. And I think they miscalculated this. But Hines ends up walking on four pitches. And then Dakota Jordan takes it personally and hammers the ball. And if you see, it had a little tail to it, too. It's tailing away from the defenders in the, in the left center field gap there. Uh, Larry scores, and Hines pulls around the third. Now runners a second, third. Uh, Luke, a chance here to really blow this game open, give states some separation. Tries to take it the other way. And that's encouraging, even though it didn't work out the way we wanted it to. But uh, it grounds out here. But um, my, my notes are correct here. But, yeah, we, we ground it out. Again, a chance for us to do some big things here. We do get the lead back, two-run score in the inning. And with Nate on the mound, you start thinking, hey, if you're like me, I'm starting to count outs here. I know that's sacrilegious in baseball, but that's kind of how it felt. Our bottom of seven. He gets Williamson to fly out to center, Hamder to fly out to right, and Temez grounds out at third base. And I'll tell you, every one of these routine fly balls, every time they left the bat, everybody in the crowd was like, ah, 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 and it's 40 feet from the track. In the cold night air, the ball doesn't travel. Unless you just kind of get a hold of one like uh, Hunter Hines and Kelum Clark, but you're not going to have these towering fly ball type deals where the wind just carries them out. Things settle. At night, especially, it was cold. Ball's not going to travel. All right, top of eight, and this is when State puts the game away. Slate offered really good at bad here, works and gets the uh, the leadoff walk. And it's so amazing, too. I turned to my wife and I said, this is a situation where Kellum has to do damage. And John Sokoloff of WCBI, he said, two-run home run right here for Kellum Clark. Two pitches later, it was. There was absolutely no doubt about it. Kellum crushed it. And at this point, I think victory was certain. Now, all of a sudden, you've got some margin to play with. Instead of it being a one run game where one, you know, we leave a fastball up and somebody, you know, runs into it, that's been removed. So, 7 4 ball game now. Lane then uh, grounds out the short. Heifel walks. They bring in Furtado. We get a pass ball here. And uh, everybody moves up. And then uh, Larry grounds out to short. Heifel takes third. Led better than strikes out looking. So, yeah, we got the two-run shot there. Had a chance to do more damage. We're unable to do that. Now, you know, we're not going to pick apart the game. Bottom of eight. Seidel grounds out to first. Uh, Nate covers. Had to really get over there, too. Really good effort by him. Ebelin then flies out to left. Pinckney singles up the middle. And this is, again, we get ahead in this count, one, Two. We try to get him with the slider and he wouldn't chase. He's learning. And then they pinch hit uh, Hodo for Gassetti and he flies out to center field. And, and, you know, that's, you start thinking now, okay, Hodo, your regular leadoff guy, pinch hits for the nine, nine hole guy so you can move uh, Tomas back behind the plate. And Hodo stays in basically as a DH. But the reality of it is, Alabama's run out of outs. They're down to four outs and just couldn't let Gassetti go in there and, and eat one of them up. So they give Hodo a chance. They get nothing. Top of nine. Um, Heinz flies out the center and then Jordan doubles to right center. So back-to-back good A-Bs for DJ. Hancock grounds out the first. Again, we're rolling over to baseball and we got to make an adjustment here. Uh, Jordan takes third and then we score on a wild pitch. And you think here, this is it, right? I mean, you know, it's eight. Hey, we were already in good shape, but to get that big insurance run, because not only here's the situation, now all of a sudden Alabama knows they got to hit a grand slam or they got to you know, piece together three or four hits here. And with Nate on the hill, the way that he's throwing, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. Lengthy at bat for Slate, and he is doing a better job here as of late. Seeing the baseball better. Gets ahead of this thing 3-1. Fouls off a couple pitches and ultimately strikes out swinging. Nate comes out for the ninth. We get Jarvis on the very first pitch to ground out the second. And isn't that usually how baseball works? When the leadoff guy comes out there and gives you a routine ground ball, it's like... Outs two and three just seem to come in quick succession. They do. Ed Johnson grounds out the short. And then Williamson, who had a pretty good weekend against us, singles to left center. And then we get Hameter to fly out to left. Honestly, a couple of selfish swings here in the the ninth for Alabama. But it's 8-4, and State wins. And we take the series for the seventh consecutive uh, time against Alabama. Of course, we didn't play in 2020. We, We play every year. We didn't play in 2020. Because uh, of COVID. But uh, we have nominated this series here as of late, one of the most frequently played series in the Southeastern Conference history. Game time was two hours, 33 minutes. They say that 4,393 people were there. I didn't count, but it was the best crowd of the weekend by far. And I think a lot of it, some Alabama people came out, even though it was cold, came out and said, hey, we got a chance to win a series. Let's come out here and support the kids. Didn't work out. And tip of the cap to all you Bulldog fans. Uh, State very well represented. I wouldn't say it was 50%, but it was close. It was close to half and half. All right, so looking back at the numbers here, Monty Larry goes two for four, scores three runs. And what more can you ask? He's a leadoff guy, right? Colton Ledbetter goes one for five. Not a great weekend for Colton. Hunter Hines goes one for four, of course, with the big home run. Also had a walk. Dakota Jordan, two for four. A couple strikeouts and a couple doubles. Scored a run, drove in a run. Luke Hancock, 0 for five. Uh, Slate offered 0 for 3, but also had a couple of walks. Kellum Clark goes 1 for 4 with the big fly there. Uh, also scored, uh, you know, running his own uh, round trip. Lane Forsyth goes 0 for 3, does get one walk. Ross Highfield, 2 for 3, according to that, that incredible home run to center field, also picked up a walk. Look at the uh, pitching numbers. Landon Gardman goes 4 and 2 thirds. Five hits, four runs. Two of them are Defense let him down. The land the will tell you, too, that he probably left a couple pitches up, right? And, there, and thats he's being a good teammate, right? But uh, the reality of it is got to put better defense. You know, we win this ball game, but we can't go ahead and excuse, uh, you know, what happened there in that first inning. This can't happen. Uh, three walks, four Ks, the one wild pitch. We didn't hit anybody. 98 pitches for Gart. I suspect he was probably on 100 limit. Casey Hunt comes in, faces two hitters. Uh, and gives up a hit and then gets a strikeout to get us out of it, and then turns the game over to Nate, who was absolutely dominant. Uh, four innings pitched, three hits, and those are all scattered. One, I guess he gave up one single in the uh, in the sixth, and then one in the eighth, one in the ninth, I think is correct. But three hits, no runs, no walks, two strikeouts, and uh, I like the pitch efficiency, right? You make them go up there and hit your pitch. Everybody likes the strikeouts. It's fun. It's dramatic. It shows dominance. But uh, there's going to be some times we're going to need Nate to pitch twice on a weekend. And so go out there, pitch to the zone, let them get themselves out. Because, listen, when you're – it's a cold night anyway, but when you've got to hit 98, 99 up in the zone, it's tough. It's tough. So Nate credited with the win. And uh, Aiden Moser charged with the loss. And listen, Alabama's kind of like we are when it comes to pitching right now. They've had some guys that have been out having to depend on some younger arms and it's just not working out uh, the way they expect or the way they'd like. I mean, that's just, you know, it's part of it. And I know many of you uh, have a negative um, opinion of Coach Bohannon because he made the comments a couple of years ago about how, you know, there's no reason to go to Starkville unless it's to play ball and things like that. And, and I understand that he did apologize. Uh, but, you know, it's, um, it's not good. It's not good. And... Trust me, there are people that uh, remember. There are people connected to Mississippi State baseball that remember. So state ups a record of 19-14, 3-9 in the league. Alabama drops 23-10, now 4-8 and eight in the league. So state's still a game behind them uh, in the standings. And, of course, we're chasing everybody but Ole Miss right now uh, to make sure we can make it to Hoover. Uh, you know, we, we got to keep winning ballgames. Simple as that. We've got to keep winning games. But um, you know, a good ball game, Not a great one because, again, we, you know, we left some money on the table, but also, too, uh, we took some of our chips and threw them in Alabama's bag and said, here you go. This should have been a game obviously that State dominated. But the, in the end, as bad as bullpen pitching has been at times for State, State simply had better work out of the pen on Saturday. That was the difference in the ballgame. It was, it was a tie game. It was a back-and-forth one-run game for much of the middle innings. When Nate Dome came in the game, the game, Alabama was finished. They were done. It was just a matter of State was going to be able to score enough to come from behind to win the ballgame, and they do. So State with much better, much better relief pitching. Alabama bullpen gives up five runs in the ballgame. All right, time for today's top ten list, as always, brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. That's C-L-O-S-E with Blair, B-L-A-I-R.com. Blair informed me last week he closed another Boneyard Listeners loan. How about that? There have been several of those. And I appreciate you guys giving Blair the opportunity to serve you. And listen, you're serving yourself here. It's a great man doing a great job. 22 years of experience now. Top 1% close ratio in the country three consecutive years. That's not a fluke. You need to put your trust in somebody that can get your loan closed. That's Blair Chandler. Give him a call or text today at 601-500-2344. Again, that's 601-500-2344. And if you mentioned to him, you heard about him on the barnyard, he's going to pay for your appraisal. How about that? Works or fairway mortgage, not some fly-by-night subprime lender. This is a guy doing a great job for a great company. And it doesn't matter who you cheer for. Even though Blair's a bulldog, he has a place here in Starkville. He did marry an old Miss girl, right? So I guess in some respects it is a mixed marriage. But all that being said, it's a professional. You need to put serious business in the hands of serious people, and that's the case uh, with Blair Chandler. longtime friend of mine, happy to support Blair on this show. Appreciate his support at the Yard all these many years, but do it for yourself. Get your business in the hands of people that know how to do business. And, again, that's Blair Chandler. we close with Blair.com. Okay, today's top ten list. This is a band many people – Maybe they're casual fans of rock music consider a one-hit wonder. They're absolutely not. They're one of these, um, kind of a band's band. They're very technically sound. And I remember when they first hit the scene and became a huge hit on MTV, everybody said, you've got a funk bass player, a heavy metal guitarist, a classic keyboardist, and then a bit of a rapper as a singer. I'm talking about Faith No More. You said, but Steve, Faith No More, well, you're about to get uh, a, a nice tour through their catalog all right number 10 and a lot of people considered uh, you know we care a lot their first album and it was a minor release in many respects and let me pull up their discography here just because I want to make sure that we're right with all of, as we give them the, uh, the the floor today let's make sure we're getting this correct all right so we care a lot was a one of those uh, albums it was kind of released on a minor label they come back with their first major relief release of introduce yourself and uh, introduce yourself had the original lead singer they didn't really find their groove until the next album but um chinese arithmetic is your number 10 song and that was on uh introduce yourself and introduce yourself also the title track there but uh, it was really a chance for them to kind of get going here they they began to see a following build here because they were so great live. And Chinese arithmetic was a big part of that. Number nine. A number nine song comes from um, I think I'm I'm having to double check here. To make sure we get all this stuff right, because um it was a lot of good things that were happening with the band at the time. But uh the the song Superhero this is one here that's uh, kind of flying under the radar just a little bit and i want to make sure i wanted to make sure we represented as many of these albums as we could but this is a good one this is one of these albums too that uh, came a little bit later in their career and they've done seven albums counting the initial album but superhero is one that um, maybe is one you're not as familiar with, but I think it's going to be a, a quick favorite for you as you uh, as you work through this list. It comes off the album Soul Invictus, the the uh, last full-length album that was released back in 2015. Many of you thought, well, they must have disbanded in the 90s. They did not. They did for a while. Went on hiatus, but they did come back. Number eight, a great track, an absolutely great track is Ashes to Ashes. Now, the follow-up album to The Real Thing, a lot of people were looking at this and kind of wondering, you know, what what's going to happen uh, with them. And, and they did some good things here and kind of built upon the success of The Real Thing. But um, Ashes to Ashes comes a little bit later uh, in the catalog. And the thing that I would say, too, the band really began to mature. And it wasn't just... Um, you know about the catchy single ashes to ashes of course comes to us off the uh the album called album of the year and ironically some people did call it the album of the year they got some awards that year okay number seven one of my favorite songs that perhaps is uh unfamiliar to you guys is this great track called digging the grave it's a little more up tempo it's more of a rock song it's one of these songs too that um You've, you, you'll hear it, you think, maybe I've heard this song before. Chances are you haven't. But it's one of these songs, too, that I think has some real girth to it. There's a lot of depth into this thing. All right, number six on your list is Everything is Ruined. Everything is Ruined. It's, it's a breakup song. It's uh, it's one of these songs, too, that, um, that comes to you off the great album Angel Dust. And uh, again, if, if you like the real thing, I think you're going to love Angel Dust if you don't already. But everything's ruined an outstanding track. Number five, this was on the original album and, of course, on Introduce Yourself. It was a title track on the very first album that was in limited release. It's We Care A Lot. And it's the last song that doesn't have Mike Patton on vocals. Mike Patton also has a little of a side project called Mr. Bungle. Of course, that's a reference to Pee Wee Herman. Uh, But number four, and three of these final four songs are going to come from... uh, The real thing album which is it's just the album it's the one that really put faith no more on the map it's from out of nowhere and this is one of these songs too when i first bought the album it immediately pulled me in immediately you listen to this and say okay there's a lot more to these guys this is not just an album with a couple of singles and a lot of uh, filler on the album i think from out of nowhere probably should have been a much bigger hit i think you know of course Music was changing at the time. And Faith No More, in many respects, is a bit of an outlier because they didn't really follow trends. That They really kind of carved their own uh, niche in music at the time. All right, number three, and the best single in many respects off the Angel Dust album which is a great track called Midlife Crisis. Again, I think you've absolutely heard this one and maybe just forgot about it, but I think once you put it on, there's going to be this air of familiarity here, and you're going to think, hey, These guys are the real deal. Uh, Released May of 1992, and again, trying to capitalize on it, there were so many people, too, that uh, thought so much of this album. It actually debuted at number 10 on the Billboard 200. The best-selling album of the Faith No More catalog. You would think, hey, it's probably the real thing. No, it's angel dust. Sold over 2.5 million copies. Pretty outstanding. The only top 10 album in the United States in the Faith No More catalog. All right, number two, the second single on the Real Thing album. The video was incredible. And they got tremendous airplay on MTV, which really kind of let people know that Faith No More was more than a one-hit wonder. It's a great song, Falling to Pieces. Somebody Put Me Together. And it's got an incredible bass line, too. It's an infectious bass line. Uh, It's really tuned down, but also the mix really kind of pushes it up into your face fall into pieces number two and number one what else could it be it's the gray track epic and everybody's heard this and uh, it really does kind of have like a rap cadence to it but there's just so much to like about this song and uh, the video of course they got a little bit of trouble with this video because at the end of the video you know it shows this fish that is uh, out of water, kind of struggling for air. They did say later that the, the fish did live. They did return him to the water, and he was fine. But there were a lot of animal rights activists who were like, hey, you're making this animal suffer uh, for the sake of art. I guess there's probably uh, some truth in some of that. But they did get in a lot of trouble for what that's worth at the time uh, because of that scene there at the end of the video. But uh, Epic is truly an epic song. And uh, I don't know how they arrived at the title Epic, but it is one that has carried over and it still holds up today. Uh, Mike Patton, of course, uh, became a superstar, really in many respects, because of this. But um, Faith No More, still selling records. Uh, They still tour occasionally. They haven't put out a new album, of course, now in uh, nearly a decade. But I wanted to touch on this one today. And I don't even know why I even stumbled across Faith No More. It's one of those things over the weekend, you know how it is when you're traveling, it's like, hey, I'd like to hear this. And I remembered all these great tunes that at one time I felt like, hey, these guys are really on their way. They've sold a ton of records. They have. Maybe don't have the hits that some of their contemporaries do, but uh, you know, the Soul Invictus album won the best album of the year back in 2015. It's pretty impressive stuff. Uh, they were also nominated for best heavy metal video for Epic. Falling to Pieces was also nominated on the Pieces also won an award for best visual effects in a video. So yeah, these guys are good, man. They are. Solom Vickis also won the uh best alternative metal album back in 15. So as you were sleeping, thinking Faith No More was done, they were out there winning awards. And congratulations to those guys. And uh, if you get a chance to go see them, go check them out. You'll be glad you did. Uh Mike Patton does a great job, great job for this band and uh you know they they've changed guitar players you know from the time that they've had uh, you know their their great success you know a lot of people re- remember the fact that uh, jim martin is a guy that uh, is kind of in many respects kind of the face of faith no more he was the uh, the guitarist during the heyday but uh, done a great job since then for sure be sure and check them out and enjoy this top 10 list i think you'll be glad you did i think it's also a situation where um you know, maybe there's some tracks here from a band that you know that maybe you're unfamiliar with that may become part of your, uh, your playlist. If you're looking for uh, our top ten lists, you can find them on Spotify. Search for Roy's handle. That's dogmatic67, T I C67. Follow him on Spotify and follow him on Twitter. He does not tweet out pictures of his food or his cats or anything like that. You know, a lot of Mississippi State stuff. But uh, he's not going to flood your feed with his spam and foolishness. Uh, matter of fact, I heard from Roy yesterday uh, we've, And I'll go ahead and make this announcement now For those of you that uh, that observe happiness uh, We've been keeping a secret from you guys for a while Ani, my oldest son, and his lovely wife Betsy Expecting their second child uh, We made the formal announcement yesterday We were late, waiting for them to do it We're out of the first trimester You know how things work now You gotta wait, you do And uh, of course they have one daughter, Vivian Rose And we call her Vivi and uh, her dad's nickname for her is Vivi Rose. And our, our next granddaughter is going to be named uh, Lillian Reagan. And we're going to call her Lily Ray because we're from the South. And uh, one of the reasons that is so important to me is Dana and I, of course, we had trouble having kids initially. We, we lost a child, our first one. We lost her in a miscarriage uh, the week before our anniversary and the weekend of Mother's Day in 1994. And I tell people that May 7th, 1994, arguably the saddest day of my life. And um, there's some truth in that. You know, I used to tell people I had never had a bad day. I just hadn't lived long enough. It's kind of an arrogant way to look at life. Oh, I'm happy all the time. Well, life will show you that that's not the case, that you're not immune from life problems. And then we had Ani. And I'll be honest with you, before we had Ani, I got really estranged from God in many respects because I was doing everything that I was supposed to do. And uh, I thought, you know what, why is this happening? You know, I'm I'm sitting out here, I'm going to work every day, I'm I'm not drinking, I'm not doing drugs, I'm working, I'm being a responsible person. And it's something my dad told me years ago, the good book tells us that the rain falls on the heads of the just and the unjust alike. And uh, so when we got ready, we got pregnant again, uh, reconnected with God in many respects, and uh, told God the desires of my heart, and uh, we we had Ani. And then we lost another child after that and uh, her name was lily and we my first one that we lost we named him uh, after me he is uh steve jr we call him stevie in, in hindsight and then uh, my wife's name is dana diane and so we named uh, our second miscarriage lily diane and we still have her with us um and i always used to say what are we going to do with her ashes at some point point? and i suspect maybe when my mother dies maybe we'll let uh lily go with her but uh so Ani wanted to honor his sister and name this child after uh, Lily. And I get emotional thinking about that. I really do. You know, it, it shows the kind of person that he is. And then also my youngest sister's name is Reagan, who I have uh, doted over, lo, these many years. So Lily and Reagan will be named after our daughter that we lost in miscarriage and my youngest sister. And uh, so we'll call her Lily Ray, and we're going to be happy about that, and we can't wait for her to get here and uh, wait for Vivi to be a big sister. And so I also know at some point on he wants to have a son. You know, he's a college baseball player. I'm sure he can't wait to get out there and, uh, and throw the ball around with his kid like I did with him. But he is an excellent girl dad. And uh, I don't know if a little girl has ever loved their dad more than Bibby loves him. And uh, as a parent, that's the thing you want. You love to see your, your children become parents when they're ready, right? There are a lot of people out there. It's like, I'm not in any hurry for my kids and parents. But uh, we're, we're really excited. And I uh, put it on Facebook yesterday. And, of course, it's been one of those things, too. You, you love being able to share good news. And you love for other people to be happy for you. But um, our family is growing. And uh, it's a thing, Dan and I talked about this yesterday. It's like, uh, you know, this is the last Easter that Ian will be home. He'll graduate high school this year and head across town and enroll at Mississippi State. And, um, you know, life is changing. But there are a lot of people that I'm going to love with all my heart that haven't been born yet. And so you start thinking about that. What's our life going to look like here in the next, uh, you know, five or six years, you know? Obviously, uh, Audrey, of course, has graduated and begun her life out in Florida, and uh, Mia will graduate from Mississippi State this spring with two degrees, take a gap year, and then go to law school. And then uh, Ian, of course, will be a, a college freshman at Mississippi State. And so we'll, you know, we're going to have some new people in our lives. We're going to have, uh, you know, sons-in-law and daughters-in-law, and we're going to have grandkids, and uh, I'm looking forward to this part of my life. As, as wonderful as life has been for me in many respects since I got clean and sober, uh, you know, the best decision that I ever made, of course, uh, was deciding to uh, you know, have a big family. You know, of course, we've been very fortunate in that respect, and we, we did lose a couple. And I remember after when we lost Lily, I remember, I remember it like it was yesterday. I remember telling God, you know what, God? If Ani if is all you ever bless us with, I am going to be grateful. I will never feel like that I lost out on anything because there are so many people out there it can have children. And so if this is all that you have in store for me, I'm going to be grateful for it. And, uh, of course, he did bless us with with three more. And uh, I think Ian showing up was good for all of us. He's kept me young because I got really old in my 30s. And um, it's been great. And uh, I'm going to miss seeing him around, but I'm excited for him to become a college student. And I uh, just wanted to share that with you. I know many of you have, uh, have reached out and offered your congratulations, but there are a lot of people that follow this show that I um, understand too. It's not just about Mississippi State at times. Even though Mississippi State's will bring us together, you know we're, we're all enjoying the same collective experience. And so, extremely excited over the moon. And the thing that I have learned for those of you that aren't grandparents yet, the thing that I've learned about grandkids is they don't stay long enough. So you got to really make the effort. And uh, thankfully, we have a bit of a, a fam chat, so we kind of get to keep up with what's going on with her, and we get uh, pictures. And videos regularly, you've heard. It's not the same. Obviously, you want to spend some time with them, but uh, technology is great. I can't even begin to imagine uh, back in the day when, we, when I was a kid back in the 1900s, you wrote letters and you mailed them, and uh, occasionally you get a chance to talk to somebody on the phone long distance. It was pretty rare because it was so expensive back in those days. Communications come a long way. So, uh, But listen, don't sit here and watch your family grow up on Facebook, be active members of their lives. All right, next segment of the show brought to you by Campus Bookmart. Campus Bookmart, Mart, a Starkvilleigan institution. I love the people at Campus Book and they love me, and we all love you. When you're in town, the best place to go get Mississippi State merchandise is Campus Book the best selection in town, the best selection in the non-universe. Many people make the claim that they've got wall-to-wall Bulldog merchandise. Not really the case. Campus Bookmart backs it up. If you can't make it to town, go, go visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays, and that is BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. And that gets you free shipping on all orders over 75 bucks. Any order less than 75 absolutely incomplete. Again, that's campusbookmart.net. And listen, it doesn't matter if you're buying something for yourself, buying a graduation gift, and they have those great diploma frames there too, right? So anything that you need, Mississippi State related, uh, you can probably find it at Campus Bookmark. Be sure and check them out. You'll be glad you did. Okay. Let's take a look around the league. You know, we only had uh, one Sunday baseball series finish, and uh, Kentucky gets upset. You know, I, I'm surprised to be honest with you. I thought Kentucky would take that series with ease. Give uh, Scott Strickland and Georgia a little bit of credit here. Uh, good job for them. Kind of shake some things up, for sure. But here's the deal Kentucky does take one. And uh, now they're in a situation now, again, where they're, you know, they only need, what, five more wins probably to make the field. So let's go back and look. Um, we did a little bit of this on um, on Friday. Excuse me, on Saturday. Let's look at our Saturday scores, for those of you that missed it. All right, Tennessee run rules Florida 14-2. Uh, to two. And uh, so Florida takes the series two games to three and no- two games to one in Knoxville. That's huge for Florida. Huge. Kentucky, of course, gets postponed, and uh, they played the two on Sunday. Arkansas wins the rubber game against Ole Miss 6-4, and that, that game happened in Oxford. And, uh, you know, give Ole Miss some credit for hanging in there pitching-wise. That Arkansas offense is is fairly prolific at times, but maybe what not what they have been. Vanderbilt takes the rubber game against Missouri. Of course, Missouri got them in a walk-off uh, on Friday. And Vanderbilt bounces back. And then, of course, State takes care of Alabama 8-4. to And then on Sunday, the only games in town were the doubleheader, Kentucky at Georgia. And Kentucky, offensively, just could not get it going. Georgia wins 3-0 and 6-2 to to take the series, the first series win of the year for the Georgia Bulldogs in conference play. So let's take a quick look at our standings here. And I hate having to look towards the bottom for us. But that's where we are. All right, Vanderbilt now 11-1 in the conference, and because of the fact Kentucky loses that series, it gives them some breathing room. Kentucky it could have taken over the overall lead in the Southeastern Conference, and they blow it. South Carolina, of course, uh, t- splits a pair of games with LSU. They didn't play game three, which is a good thing for LSU. And I have, I made that comment on the jeanspage.com message board, and somebody, oh, well, they can't talk about LSU because we're struggling. Listen, I'm going to have a strong opinion about college baseball no matter what Mississippi State's going to do. I think based on what we saw from South Carolina this weekend against LSU at home, and I didn't think that – I thought LSU would take the series, but after watching the way South Carolina hit LSU pitching, I think LSU was in trouble in game three. I think LSU dodged a bullet there, and South Carolina probably – uh, you know, they lose a game there, the opportunity to play a game, which they could easily be 10 and two in the conference right now, not to beat LSU was ever easy, but I think Carolina had the momentum. They blow the middle game. Of course, they had an opportunity to put that thing away, but give LSU credit. Gavin Dugat with a grand slam, uh, puts LSU right back in it. I mean, Carolina just outs away from clinching a series against the number one team in the country. And LSU, and you know how it is. In order to beat LSU, you've got to short sheet their beds, put you have know, sugar in their gas tanks, everything. It's so much to it. And that's a that's a compliment to LSU. They're a team that never quits. But South Carolina now nine and two. And Kentucky, because of the series loss, falls to nine and three. Florida with the series win over Tennessee, nine and three. Now Tennessee picked to win the East, not picked to win the SEC, but picked to win the East. Man, they are four games out of first place. Think about that for a second. Now, of course, you're going to play some of the teams ahead of you head-to-head, so you got a chance to make up some ground. But if you had Tennessee with seven losses four weekends into this deal, we need to go to the casino together. It's crazy. They're five and seven. They're closer to last place in the East than they are the first. Let that sink in for a second. And Tennessee still got some very difficult series ahead of them. You can say, well, yeah, at least they can, you know, kind of control their own destiny. I'm not sure they do. Not to say that Tennessee won't make the field; they certainly will. But uh, as as far as them being maybe the team that uh, of the future in the Southeastern Conference, I think you've got to begin to question that. Really, kind of makes last year's uh, run really feel like a wasted opportunity. And here's the deal for Tennessee: before they host us in two weeks, they got to go to Arkansas this weekend. You know how difficult it is to play in Arkansas? And Arkansas, of course, goes on the road and beats Ole Miss, and it was a very competitive series. Arkansas at Bob Walker is tough. Probably outside of, uh, say, Mississippi State and LSU, when State and LSU are rolling, Arkansas among the best home field advantages in all of college baseball. No question about it. So after Arkansas, then Tennessee comes home to host Vanderbilt. So back-to-back top five teams – and you think, hey, they can win one of these series. You don't expect them to sweep any of them. But let's say, let's say you, you go three and three here. You got 10 losses already, five weekends in with five to go. It's not time to panic if you're Tennessee, but you start thinking, hey, maybe we're not who we thought we were. So after they go to Arkansas and host Vanderbilt, then we go up there. And so they, I'm sure they're thinking the month of May will be a good one for them. You know, hey, if we're if we're state, we got to go up there and get a game or two, right? We'd love to win up there, but, you know, that's an offense fairly prolific. And, um, you know, there's a couple of night games out there, too, and the Baldwin we Roy travel well at night, as we discussed before. But then after they get through us, you get into the month of May, Tennessee is at Georgia. Then they host Kentucky, and then they're at South Carolina. And so you look at that Georgia series and say, hey, they should be able to do that, but it's on the road. Kentucky coming to Tennessee. Kentucky took two out of three from Tennessee last year. So you know Tennessee will be focused. But you start looking at this and you wonder, you know, hey, is Tennessee capable of sweeping the series? Well, certainly they are, but I don't think you'd expect that. And so you begin, you start thinking, hey, is Tennessee in a situation right now where they're going to play their way out of the hosting discussion? I think that is a real possibility. It really is. Right now, would you pick, would you take them – in Columbia, to win that series, I mean, I mean, just based on what we know right now. Okay, let let's say you lose the series at Arkansas. Let's say you split that. All right, that's one more loss. Let's say you win the series. Excuse me, excuse me. That's two. I think they're going to lose the series at Arkansas. Let's say you, you you're able to overcome it and you take down Vanderbilt. But again, I don't expect to sweep. Okay, that's three more losses. And hopefully, state can get a game up there, which gives them four. Maybe you sweep Georgia. And then you split it with Kentucky. All right, then that's five. And then you go to South Carolina. I'd pick South Carolina head-to-head right now with South Carolina winning. So, all of a sudden, you, you start talking about seven more losses with what you already have. That's rough. Tennessee's in a tough spot. They are. And trust me, everybody in this league remembers the fur coat, uh, the way the players acted last year, the you know, flipping players off. Nobody's forgotten. And who knew when Missouri swept that series that it was going to put Tennessee in a tailspin? Who knew? All right, Missouri, speaking of Tigers, 4-8. and eight. So a game behind Tennessee. Georgia now 3-9. and nine. So interesting times in the Southeastern Conference. But I think, again, you look at what Vanderbilt's got going right now. They just got to kind of hold serve. And, again, I think Vanderbilt's better than I expect them to be. Give Tim Corbett and them a lot of credit. I mean, I mean really, really give them a lot of credit. They're pitching it exceptionally well. Uh, they really are. It's uh, kind of a crazy deal right now that they lost that game to Missouri, but uh, that that ended a lengthy winning streak. I mean, you know, so they beat Belmont after losing that game, Loyola Marymount. They don't lose again until they lose that middle game against Missouri. And that includes sweeps of Ole Miss, sweeps of Mississippi State, sweeps of Georgia. Big weekend this weekend as uh, Vanderbilt will host South Carolina. We're about to find the difference between the wheat and the tares. And then uh, they go to Tennessee, of course. They host Kentucky. Then they go to Alabama. Then they're at Florida and end up at Arkansas. So Vandy's going to have to earn it. I mean, you know, the schedule flips for them in many respects. They have kind of gotten by on beating up kind of the, the worst teams in the conference. We talked about that. Old Miss, Mississippi State, and Georgia and Missouri. That's the bottom two teams in the East, bottom two teams in the West. And so things are about to kind of – business is about to pick up Vanderbilt for sure. All right, let's look at the SEC West. It's not what many people expect it to be. Arkansas now leads the league, leads the division with an 8-4 record. And of course, they lose that series to LSU to open the year. But now that LSU doesn't play that that game against South Carolina, because it's all about winning percentage, right? So the tiebreaker basically is removed unless Arkansas is unable to play a game somewhere. So now if Arkansas and LSU basically play it out and win every series the rest of the way, if, the, if there's never any more separation, Arkansas would win the West. Because, again, it's based on winning percentage. Arkansas, by virtue of playing that extra game and winning that extra game, has a 6.67 winning percentage, LSU 6.36. So LSU kind of hurt by that. And I do believe LSU would have lost that ball game anyway. It made them 7-5. But that's all my opinion. A&M, a big series win over the weekend for them. Uh, over Auburn makes them five and seven on the year. I'm still not sold on them. I think we can get them here. I don't think they're done losing ball games either. Uh, Alabama, of course, now four and eight. Auburn, right there, four and eight. We'll see them next weekend. We'll travel to Auburn. Matter of fact, I got to make my arrangements here. But now Mississippi State, now basically a game behind fourth place in the West. And it's, at this point, it's not really about standings. It's about winning as many conference games as you can and try to push your record over, you know, 30-something wins here and uh, see if you can't get somewhere around 12-13. And, again, you know, the math works, but the bottom line is you can drive yourself crazy because you never know what these teams are going to look like by the time we get there. You never know what we're going to look like by the time we get there. Could be somebody step up and pitch well for us. Could be somebody step up and pitch well for somebody else. Somebody could get injured. You never know. But the reality of it is is that uh, Mississippi State's not where we should be or where we want to be. We can sit here and wallow in the mire about it, or we can find a way to go in some ball games. And of course, uh, you know, Ole Miss comes to town this weekend. Uh, Mississippi State is eighteen and five in the last twenty-three games against Ole Miss. Eighteen and five. I got the numbers around here somewhere. Let me let me find that. Here we go. Yeah. So, 2016 State takes the series two games to one, and wins the Governor's Game. 2017, state sweeps the series in Oxford and wins the governor's game. 2018, in Starkville, state takes the series two games uh, two games to one and wins the governor's game. 2019, state sweeps in Oxford and wins the governor's game. We didn't play in 2020. In 2021, we also didn't play the governor's game. We just played the, the, uh, the regular SEC series. State wins that uh, two games to one. Last year, state wins the series two games to one. Uh, in Oxford and then Ole Miss wins the governor's game so 18 and 5 since 2016 uh, in the rivalry series and we're going to see an Ole Miss team hey, listen to be honest with you yeah we're a game ahead of them in the standings and you know a game ahead of them overall in, um in total wins they're not playing bad baseball I know their fans you look at it and say hey this is going to be a you know, tough deal having to go to Mississippi State. That's on a series here as of late. I expect, as always, for it to be very competitive. I do, and uh, State's going to have to play exceptionally well offensively. And we're going to preview this series a little bit later in the weekend. And I think it's in, in the week. I guess we'll do it. Uh, we we'll it on Friday because we don't. Thankfully, we don't play on Thursday. We can have a regular schedule. But uh, again, if you're planning to come to Super Bowl that like weekend, you need to make arrangements now. Hotels are going to be hard to come by. Uh, tickets for that Saturday game are going to be difficult to come by. And you want to come out and see the you know first look at the Kevin Barbe offense uh, in the spring game. So make sure you turn out uh, for each and every part of that. I think you'll be glad you did. It's going to be a very, very interesting uh, week in Southeastern Conference play, uh, to say the least. And uh, let's matter of fact, let's take a quick look at the schedule. Uh, as you guys know, we're going to preview the UAB game here shortly. We're going to be over in, uh, in Birmingham. There are no games scheduled today which is always good. Uh, But Tuesday, April 11th, if you hadn't started your taxes, you need to. All right, so Auburn will be at Georgia Tech. That's an interesting, kind of a salty little midweek matchup. Florida State is at Florida. Eastern Kentucky is at Tennessee. Clemson is at Georgia. Kentucky is at Louisville. That'll be broadcast on the ACC network. Southern Miss is at Alabama. North Alabama is at Vanderbilt. State's at UAB. UAB. Uh, Tulane is at LSU, Texas San Antonio at A&M, South Carolina Upstate at South Carolina, Missouri at Missouri State, Memphis is at Ole Miss, Little Rock is at Arkansas. So very extensive schedule on Tuesday, and on Wednesday show we'll recap that. Uh, I like all these Power Five matchups, don't you? And so many of you, of course, will be watching us on the ESPN Plus. But there's a lot of good baseball that's going to be played. Of course, there's some games. You know, Tennessee should wax Eastern Kentucky. You know, LSU should be able to get about Tulane. You know, Tulane will bring a good effort down there. Uh, South Carolina Upstate did not having any chance against Gamecocks, right? But you look at some of these other games and you realize, hey, this could be a very interesting week in the Southeastern Conference. Uh, what's interesting, too, for Ole Miss is uh, looking at the schedule here. They have five games this week on the schedule. They play Memphis, and then they host Alcorn State on Wednesday. And so the question that you have here, uh, do these games get played, right? I mean, would you cancel a game? I don't think there's any weather in the way early in this week, but you never know. And you got to wonder, you know, it's like for a pitching staff that is kind of struggling to find some depth, you know, Raleigh Maddox has a guy that's been out. Of course, Hunter Elliott's been out. You know, what do you do? I mean, obviously you'd want to get an abbreviated game, but the last thing Ole Miss needs is to get into a barn burner of a deal with Memphis, you know, where you have to eat up some arms and then come back and play another game on Wednesday and then have the quick turnaround, travel to Stargill. So interesting scheduling for the Rebels to play five games this week. I'm sure if there is even the threat of rain on Wednesday, maybe you go ahead and and opt out of that Alcorn State game. You know, maybe. That's the thing that, you know, they have found some creative ways to get out of games. Uh, But that could be awfully interesting. Just something to kind of consider. Arkansas in a similar situation. They play Arkansas Little Rock uh, Tuesday and Wednesday. Then you got to turn around and play Tennessee. And that's an uh, Arkansas pitching staff, too, that's had some injuries. And so it's important to kind of understand, too, how you navigate through this when everybody is kind of – you know, trying to keep guys healthy, which is always really the case. But uh, there have been a lot of situations this year where you know, we've had some pitchers in the South Conference go down. LSU kind of dealing with some of that now, too. It's not something that's just unique to Mississippi State. If you're a fan of the college game, you understand. In all of baseball, we're having a lot of problems. But here as of late, now we've kind of gotten deeper into the season. You're starting to see uh, some guys have to miss some time. And you hate to see that. You absolutely hate to see that. All right, final segment of the show brought to you by our friends at Portico. Listen, here's the deal with that. If uh, if I was moving to Starkville now, I would move to Portico. Told you guys that before. It's not a joke. Very easy to get to. Very, very, very easy to get to. You turn off 82 on 12 like going to campus, very first right. You pass that road a million times in your life, Right. You take that right on Pat Station Road, go through the four-way stoppers portico on your right. You can start with a two-bedroom, two-bath home. Go all the way up to a four-bedroom, four-bath home. If you need a custom build, they can accommodate you with that too. Maybe you need a bigger living room. Maybe you need a she-shed. Maybe you need a man cave. Whatever you need, talk to them. They're flexible. It doesn't have to be some cookie-cutter type deal. Uh, give our friend brooks bryan a call at 601-416-8075 again at 601-416-8075 get all the information you need and he's probably got some good baseball stories too brooks bryan of course recently part of that great 98 team that was honored at duty noble field the 25 year anniversary of that team we had a lot of those guys back it's always good to see them back on campus Uh, and let them see the advancements what we've done here and also too to enjoy the fact and take some ownership of the fact they helped uh you know, get our program to this point. So uh, thanks as always to Brooks and to all of you. All right, let's take a quick look at UAB. Uh, Casey Dunn, you know, Casey was in Sanford for 17 years, now been at uh, UAB for a couple of years and and didn't even have to change his address, right? Uh, It has been a difficult year for UAB. Uh, They have played SEC teams four times there, one and three against the SEC and uh, picked up you know, a big win last week over Auburn. Let's take a quick look, though, at kind of how the year has gone for the Blazers. They're 10-21 and 21 overall, and 3-9 and in their conference. They entered the week uh, losing four games in a row. Uh, they open up playing down in the Jaguar Classic. That's down at South Alabama at Eddie Stanky Field uh, in Mobile. They, uh, they lose two of three, of course. They, uh, they lose to Eastern Kentucky. They get Northwestern State, the Demons, 4-3 for their first win of the year. Then they lose to South Alabama. All those games were competitive and all decided by one run. And then you go to Vanderbilt and you get beat 13-1 in seven innings. They played Murray State in the Hoover Met, a three-game series there. They take two of three there. And then they play Troy at Troy, lose that game, a one-run game, 8-7. They host Notre Dame at Young Memorial Field. That's the on-campus stadium there at UAB. And what a big, big deal that is, right? Uh, They don't win the series, but they're able to salvage a Sunday game. But these games were competitive. They lose 7-2, 7-3, and then win 5-2. And what a big deal it is to get Notre Dame in any sport. of course, that's the biggest crowds they had all year, around 1,100 people. I don't know the capacity at Young Memorial Field. Uh, Most of these games, they're in the the low to mid-100s. Uh, but they had about 1,100 people at every game. And uh, I'm sure a lot of that, too, was the novelty of having Notre Dame. And there's also, uh, you know, a lot of Notre Dame fans in the South. The midweek game, they lose to Auburn 4-1 to at Auburn. The Mike Sanson Classic played over in Atlanta, Georgia. They play a kind of a round-robin deal with Michigan and Kennesaw State. They take Michigan to 10 innings in game one and then lose, and then they lose to Michigan 3-2. Not that Michigan's having a great year, but it's still a power five team, with power five talent. They lose to Kennesaw State 4-3, so a competitive game. They then beat Sanford 9-5, and then they bring uh, Rice in for a three-game set. They lose all three, and only one of these games is kind of lopsided. They lose to Rice in the opener 8-1. 2-1 losers against Rice in game two, and then 3-1 losers in 10 innings. They go to Tuscaloosa back on March 21st, and the Tide gets them 12 to two in 8 innings, a 10 run rule affair. Florida International uh, host UAB down there, a Conference USA play there, and uh, the Blazers take two of three down there, 15 to five, lose 13 five, and win five to two. They get Jacksonville State in a midweek game, and then Charlotte, another Conference USA opponent. Uh, comes to UAB and uh, takes two of three Charlotte not having a big year either but Charlotte got after him pretty good 11-3 in the first game of the series UAB wins 2-1 and then loses 5-0 in the season finale series finale and of course they get Auburn last weekend 6-5 over the course of the weekend I guess the math is wrong here they play three games you played three games here yeah so Dallas Baptist, they go to Dallas and uh, lose all three, but they're very competitive ballgames. 2-1, 3-2, and then 7-2. Got a little separation in the Sunday game. So you look up and say, hey, they're 10-21, and 21, but with rare instances that they've been blown out. They've been competitive in these games. And that's kind of Casey Dunn. He was an All-American catcher at Auburn, uh, played in the College World Series. And, you know, his dream, dream job has probably always been Auburn. I uh, don't know if it's going to work out, though. You know, with but- I think Butch is there probably for a foreseeable future. I know a lot of people would love if, if Butch moved on at some point. Uh, they'd love to have uh, Casey Dunn come home at Auburn. But um, just don't know if it's going that opportunity will materialize for them. But uh, looking at the stats here, I guess before we look at that, there will be some names you know on this roster. Uh, just so you guys are-, are aware of this. John Mark Mullins, of course, has been uh, the closer for them. A uh, guy that's been there for a while. There, there are some Mississippi names you're familiar with. Probably Leo Harris out of St. Martin High School in Biloxi. Is a guy. He's a senior right-handed pitcher. Has pitched for them some on the weekends. Peyton Puckett from Tupelo, Mississippi. Uh, doing a good job for him as well. Uh, former Bulldog commitment Blaze Berry from Heritage Academy in Columbus has uh, is developed into a uh, you know, weekend pitcher for them. So, you know, that's a name that you're probably familiar with. Also, uh, John Luke Marlin from Tupelo, Mississippi. So some names that you're going to be familiar with for sure. And, uh, yeah, I think if if I'm I'm UAB, when you look at what Southern Miss has done over the years, I got to go over here and, and maybe recruit North Mississippi and try to get some of those guys to be a part of my program. And they have. And good for them. Birmingham's a great town. I look forward to going. You know, we'll get up and get going tomorrow. All right, so here is uh, you know the names to remember. Logan Bronswig uh, leads a team with a 373 batting average. Uh, no tanks. You know, he is uh, not, not a guy that's got a ton of extra base hits either. But uh, 22 hits on the year, 19 of those singles. Has walked a dozen times, struck out just 11, and 59 at bats. He's also a guy that can still base 7 of 9. Uh, Tyler Wog 3, or whoa, I apologize to the family title if I'm mispronouncing it here, but uh Tyler Wah, maybe? Uh, 317 average, uh, 19 hits on the year, uh, 8 RBI, and a, a guy, too, that uh, gets on base a lot. He leads a team and hit by pitches with five, tied for the team lead there. Uh, Christian Hall hitting 267, Gavin Lewis, Jr., uh, 250, John Mark Mullins hitting 229, and it goes kind of goes down from there. As a team, they're hitting just 237. So they're not you know a great offensive team. So you got to be able to pitch it well, right? And um, that's really kind of been the issue, right? When you can't hit and you can't score, opponents are hitting 283 against them, and you're hitting 237. And you got two guys among your regulars that are hitting above 300. Blaze Berry's a guy that has done some things for him too, hitting 310 and limited at bats there. But uh, we we might see him. Who knows? I suspect we won't see him pitch, but you you never know. But uh, look at the pitching numbers here. Uh, John Luke Marlin talked about him. He has worked uh, basically as their closer. Uh, 13 appearances with a 1.10 ERA. 16 innings, 16.1 innings pitch uh, has allowed uh, two runs on the year. Both of them earned 13 Ks and uh, six walks and just one extra base hit. Opponents are hitting a buck 82 against him. It appears their weekend starters are Carson Myers, Blaze Berry, and Brooks Walton. So you don't really know who we're going to see. Could be a Johnny Holstaff day. You look back at some of these old box scores, and and they have kind of used these midweek games to get some experience. Um, J.C. Sewell is a guy we could see. Braxton Shelton is the guy that uh, pitched against Auburn. Uh, That was his first start. He worked three innings, and then they basically used it as a bullpen day. Uh, Leo Harris has a couple of starts as well, as does Taylor Haynes and uh, Ben Abernathy. So I suspect that it will be a Johnny Holstaff-type deal. If somebody gets hot, they'll ride with them as well. Uh, but this is a pitching staff, too, especially outside of their weekend guys that have really struggled to get outs. Uh, 5.33 ERA as a team. And, of course, uh, these numbers haven't been updated from the weekend, just, just so you know. This this will give you a bar, I'm looking at the win-loss thing. Uh, the, these numbers haven't been updated in a little while. So, uh, the reality of it is, and uh, maybe we can find the interactive stats. Yeah, here we go. Here we go. I mean, your good friend and host apologizes for not making sure I had this correct before we got started here. But uh, the numbers, I mean, it, you know, the guys that hit are still hitting, right? Yeah, Lug and Braunschweig now up to to 354. 354. Yeah, they've played all 28 games here. Yeah, so as a team, now they're hitting 223 and allowing 276. And uh, what's interesting, too, the lack of power in this lineup, just nine home runs as a team, and Christian Hall has three of them. Braxton Brown has four. So outside of that, not much. You you have nine home runs, and seven of them come from two guys. So this should be a situation where you should be able to pound the zone. This is, you know, with rare exception, you don't have anybody in lineup that can truly hurt you, and this is a team that is struggling to hit the baseball. And uh, what's interesting, looking at their regulars now, we talked about Braxton Brown with the home runs. With four to lead the team, he's hitting a buck 95. Played in all 31 games. 118 at-bats, he has 23 hits. And uh, half of them for extra bases. You got to be careful with him. But uh, he's also a guy that um, got some swing and miss in the lineup here. 39 strikeouts to lead the team. But, uh, you know, you ought to be able to go out here and just kind of attack the zone here. And we are playing this game on the UAB campus. I had somebody hit me up yesterday and say, hey, is this at Regents Park or is it at the Hoover Met? Um, We're playing on campus at UAB at Young Memorial, unless something changes. And I don't suspect that it will, but limited capacity there. So if you hadn't got your tickets, you need to uh, ensure that you get them. And we need to make sure, too, that we need to take over the stadium. We have a huge alumni base in Birmingham. It's a chance for you to see the Diamond Dogs play in your backyard and certainly a game that we should win. Uh, Looking at pitching numbers here, again, more updated stats here. But um, I don't know who they'll announce, but we ought to be able to hit midweek Conference USA pitching. Should we not? And the way that offense has played here as of late, with the rare exception, uh, with that three-hit debacle on Friday against Alabama, we ought to be able to go out here and get these guys. And, and looking at the numbers here too, the uh, walks as a staff, it's basically it's just under two to one. So not a ton of strikeouts, but a lot of walks. You know, we, we're familiar with that. We we're striking out a bunch of guys. We're also walking a bunch too. So I think it's basically boils down to a situation if. If we don't go out there and walk the ballpark, we ought to win this game handily like most of our SEC peers. But if we go out there and overlook them like Auburn did last week, and you know that game means a lot to Casey. You know it does. Casey does, You know it does. Uh, we'll get beat. I mean, yeah, I expect to win the game. But if we go out there and we don't do what we're supposed to do, uh, we will be in um, not feeling good. And uh, I, I expect us to, to get that taken care of. Uh, Evan Cieri didn't pitch over the weekend. He did warm up a lot. I won't be surprised if he gets to start again this week. Bradley Lawton, of course, pitched a little bit in relief over the weekend, uh, as you guys are well aware. So I think we kind of approach this as a Johnny Holstaff day two. My hope is we've got enough separation in the game that we can afford to ride some guys and not have to to worry about the numbers kind of getting away from us, right? But there you go. And so Wednesday we'll come back and we'll recap all of the Tuesday action and uh, begin to kind of look forward to the weekend. And, of course, on, uh, on Friday, we'll get really excited because we're going to be getting ready for Super Bulldog Weekend. A lot of activity on campus. This is a great thing. When you get a chance to come to Super Bulldog Weekend, you can kind of do whatever you want. There's so many things that are going on. You can support multiple sports on campus. It's really kind of a homecoming type deal. You get a chance to come to the Maroon and White game and uh, a great home baseball series. And so we look forward to having you back on campus as always. If you hadn't done so, go to dogpilethebook.com. Father's Day is coming up sooner rather than later. Graduations are coming up sooner rather than later. You probably got some Bulldog fans that are going to be graduating. You got some Bulldog fans of your dads or maybe there's some dads in your life. Get them an autographed copy, and you can get it personalized um, of Dogpile. Every Bulldog fan needs a copy of Dogpile. Simple as that. Go to dogpilebook.com. While you're there, you can pick up the last couple of copies of Stark Villains you can get Alpha Dogs, and that, that's a uh, you know, depleted stock there, too. And, of course, uh, Flem Flam, still there for your reading pleasure. If you're looking for Blooms of Oleander, you can find it on Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, BooksMillion.com, and, Books and uh, Stark Villains gear, always available at StarkVillains.com. Be sure and, uh, and check that out. It's a almost T-shirt wearing time regularly, and you need some new T-shirts. Dad needs that, too. Dad may need a hoodie, too, so he can wear it today. It's weighed this fall. But uh, be sure and check it out. And if you're not a member of jeanspage.com, we encourage you to come out there and be part of us, the, the largest Mississippi State community in the non-universe. And, universe. and uh, nobody doing a better job than us. And I can tell you this, we uh, we covered every game this weekend over in Tuscaloosa. The only media entity, I believe, that did that. Uh, I guess maybe the ledger was there all day. So I think maybe that's right. Um, but I don't think they're going to UAB. I'll be at UAB. We're going to cover the game, and uh, we'll give you guys uh, in-depth coverage. And – be sure and check it out. And, of course, we'll have uh, the full crew working this weekend uh, to cover baseball as Ole Miss comes to town. And it's a crucial series uh, for the Bulldogs. And, again, as we get into later in the week, we'll, uh, we'll preview that series in depth. But uh, when you start thinking about Hoover, as it stands today, like if the tournament started today and it doesn't, Ole Miss would be out. And then there would be a tiebreaker thing we'd have to work through between Georgia and Mississippi State. And the fact that State and Ole Miss both – are in that situation right now, it's just one of the biggest surprises. I, I thought Ole Miss would take a step back this year, and they're going to have a good May. They should. Um, it's a surprise. But it's not as big a surprise to me as what we're dealing with. I really thought last year would be the outlier and we would bounce back strong after this really strong portal class. But it is what it is, and we can continue to lament the losses that we've already had and we can kind of push forward and try to win some ball games. I'm going to focus on the fact that we had a 3-1 a and one week last week and I'm going to again tell you, I expected three in one week this week. And then hopefully this time next week, we're saying, OK, hey, we're kind of kind of climbing back into this thing. We have just put ourselves in a situation where there's just not much margin for error now. State's got to string together some wins and go on a run here. And hopefully they will. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live.
1: This is the story of the Wad. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently.